Hi, everyone. Just a quick note that this episode of the book club features discussions around mental health and attempted suicide, which some listeners may find upsetting. Hey guys, it's Kate here. Today's episode of The Ramble Showcase is one of our favourite episodes of Book Club, the series where Jim and I speak to writers from the world of football about their work. Former Leicester City winger Matt Piper joined me alongside his co-writer Joe Bruin last year to talk about his raw unflinching autobiography, Out of the Darkness. We've spoken to loads of other amazing people on the book club, including Jamie Redknapp, Nick Hornby, Julie Welsh and Clive Tilsley. You can listen to them all on Football Ramble Presents. So if you haven't already, subscribe now and get listening. I was absolutely buzzing when the surgeon said I flew to Denver, Colorado. And when he said, you can't play professional sport with that knee anymore. Inside, I was so excited. I was, I was like, thank God that is all over. Hello and welcome to the Book Club with me, Kate Mason. This week for Book Club, we've been reading another classic released just this year. One that charts what can happen when one of the finest young players of his generation finds himself unable to play the game he loves so much. What it means when your body gives up on you and retirement comes very young indeed and the future starts to look impossible. Our book has been long listed for this year's William Hill Sports Book of the Year. It is Out of the Darkness by Matt Piper with Joe Bruin. Now, how about this one for the video scrapbook? The Filbert Street hero was needed and up stepped Matt Piper. Now, this was his first goal for the club. The celebrations were ecstatic. Matt Piper was just 20 when he headed in the last goal ever scored at Filbert Street for Leicester City, his hometown club in dire financial straits. Leicester were then forced to sell their most prized asset to Sunderland, which is when it started to unravel for him. The injuries, there's a brilliant line in the book, what Joe put, you know, they, they harmed my mind way more than they harmed my body. That encapsulated exactly how it was. 20 operations later, Matt was a wreck, desperate to get out of a profession that made him feel basically terrified every time he lined up for a game. But months out, he was subsisting on whiskey and Valium, trying to end a life he found pretty pointless. It would have been... It would have been the ultimate mistake to to have taken my life that day. Out of the Darkness is the story of how Matt escaped addiction with the help of some brilliant people. But we also hear proper honest stories about what life is like as a professional footballer today and how hilarious and frankly dysfunctional it can be. And I'm delighted to say with me in the studio today, we're very lucky to have both of the men who collaborated on bringing this book to light. Joe Bruin of 442 Magazine, Matt's ghostwriter and Matt Piper himself. Guys, thank you so much for coming in to join us in the Ramble studio. Thanks for having us. It's so great to have you here. I'm excited, Kate. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, great. You've already been admiring the studio, which I think I understand you have a long podcasting career ahead of you. So, Well, it's it's just in the very vulnerable stages. But um, yeah, I'm trying to trying to do a podcast that sort of tracks you know, some of the issues that are in the book. I guess you've got quite used to talking about your mental health in public now, Matt, but how does it feel when you do it? When I talk about it now, it is, I go back to them places, as I did with Joe for the book, to to try and help others that are going through a struggle, I think. that That's what gives me joy now, because when I talk about it, I know that by telling my story and being so honest with it, I, I can, you know, I can help others. So you don't get nervous about speaking 
about something. It's, it's a difficult topic, isn't it? I know people are much more open about these things now, and guys especially. Mm. Um, you know, we've got things like Mental Health Month where people are encouraged to talk about things. And um, but still, it's it's a hard thing to do. I think it is. I mean, the first few times that I did it, it was really difficult. And you know, when we, when me and Joe were were doing the book, and I was tracking back through all the stuff, and I sort of go bed on the night time that Joe would leave one of the sessions that we did together and I would think, wow, you you really went through that kind of stuff. And it was horrible and it was difficult, but once it was out, you know, it was the second time in my life that I talked about that stuff on such a deep basis. The first time was in rehab, mm. at, um, Sporting Chance. Um, so that was the first time it all came out. And then I sort of closed the door on it again. Um, but But this, writing this book really helped me because gave me a chance to talk through it all again. I was a much more mature man. My life was totally different at the point. Me and Joe obviously wrote the book and it it helped me again. Yeah. So it, it just shows, especially someone like me who's got a personality like me that is quite open, Yeah. that if you can talk about those difficult issues, them difficult subjects, it can help you develop into a more rounded person that is able to talk about it and it doesn't affect you anymore. I think I think that's the big thing that's come from it. This is a new thing for book club, having both the you know the the writer, the wordsmith, um, <laughs> and the subject, the footballer as well, in a room together. And and I think that's wicked because you can get a bit of a sense, Joe, of how this collaboration came about. Was there were there things you tried to do to help Matt talk about things like this? How did that work when you were when you were thinking about these subjects? I, I remember in the very first session that we did, Matt, Matt said to me, "This is like therapy," because there was a lot of questions about <laughs> how did that make you feel. Yeah, you know, that's that's the kind of the way that you bring out emotive you know, language in in any subject. But then you also have that kind of responsibility as a journalist. You know, you've got the very selfish part of you that wants him to tell all of these crazy stories. But then you have to remember that this is this this is what happened to him, and you know. You sat there kind of open mouth sometimes with, with what he was coming out with. But one, the one thing that Matt said when we sat down in, in a pub garden to talk about this book, it, he, first of all, he said, I don't think enough people will care. Oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, a footballer that's played around about 50 games. I know I'm not a household name. So I just thought it was going to be interesting a book about a kid that's not played that much. Okay. Um, well, he's got 50 games, but he's, he's also got about 5,000 stories. Yeah. So, but, no, but the second thing he said was, okay, we'll do it. But I'm, I, want be, I want it to be honest. I want it to, to, to tell the truth. And, and that's exactly what we got. And that historic thing that you did at Filbert Street, obviously, um, was that one of the things that made you so fond of Matt? What made you think his was a story you wanted to write? So I would have been uh, only about 10 or 11 when Matt sort of was in, in Leicester's team. And... <laughs> The team was, was bad. It's yeah. a sign, isn't it? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Raise the the, the team wasn't very good at that time. You know, the, the money was, was, in, was in a dire situation. Well, they won the way down, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, Leicester were getting despite relegated. That win. There was a fire sale of, of players, basically. But there was, I, I will always remember that fact that we had this local lad who played on the wing and, and just didn't care. He was, he was fearless. He would run at people and everyone loved him. Mm. You know? and, then, and then obviously had that history with the last goal at Filbert Street. But then after he left for Sunderland, kind of went off the radar for for I don't, I don't know whether you can I can say for all Leicester fans, but you, you kind of just focus on your own team then, and you, you wish him well, and then he's gone, and then you you know because he had to retire not long after that, you you sort of lost track of of, of pipes because he, he wasn't really doing his radio work at the time. Yeah, and then 
basically got in touch with him for a, for a feature idea. Um, ah, okay. Just started I'd, off like I'd, that, did I'd it? read an interview with him, um, which was which was great. I thought we could definitely explore some more stuff. And I remember doing it on the phone and we were we were on the phone for, you know, two hours, I think. And there was just all this stuff that you couldn't fit in. Um, we put the story out on, on 442.com and it got an amazing reception from people. Mm. And and that was kind of the birth of it, really. That was kind of how you met your wife, wasn't it? Just chatting <laughs> on the phone for hours. Matt. Yeah. Well, oh, so you have read the book. <laughs> <laughs> because I read the book. Look, you can see my notes. Yeah, I, I folded down the corners. No, I know. <laughs> um, super professional, Kate. Um, yeah, it was. It was how I met my wife. And it, do you remember the story? Because I actually went to Joe and you thought, you, you pitched the idea of the book to me and I, I was like no one's ever going to read that and we sort of moved on to talk about other stuff and then I met you in the pub garden to come down and say that I had an idea about a fly on the wall documentary at my academy that I wanted to film have you got any contacts that could you could put me in touch with <laughs> and you sort of laughed it you sort of laughed it out of the pub garden and then you said I thought you was coming down here to talk about the book and then I said oh this book idea and then we kept talking we had a few beers and I sort of loosened up a little bit. And then he told me that the the article that we did in 442 had gone well. Yeah. And you should really think about a book because you've got some stories to tell. Um, so I went away and I, I thought about it that evening and I, I started tracking through all the stories because I've got a really good memory. Mm. So even stories that others forget sort of stay in my mind and something triggers it. And uh, so I said... Let's give it a go, mate, and see how it goes. And, and that's sort of how it was born. So you started thinking about what sort of things you'd want to talk through and felt like, actually, oh, there is quite a lot there. Yeah, I mean, I've read a lot of footballers' autobiographies before and I knew without a shadow of a doubt I didn't want it to be. And then I ran down the wing and crossed the ball and so-and-so headed it. And that's not taking anything away from the guys that write them kind of books I didn't play that many games, so I haven't got that many stories about that kind of, you know, them stories. So I, I thought if it's really open and honest and really talks about not just not just feathers over the top of certain issues, but really talks about it, um, we, we've we never laughed so much. Me and this guy now are really close, good friends. I would call him a, a good friend. Yeah. And he came round as a journalist and we're sitting in there. My dog's attacking him in the, in the living room. What dog? Anything scary? No, a little French bulldog. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we were just in there and we, it was, a lot of it was, um, you know, just pre-lockdown, wasn't it? Because then we had to switch to doing it over Zoom calls. And we just got on with each other. So, and I felt comfortable in his presence. He felt comfortable in mine and... He, he he always used to start by asking these really deep delving questions, but mm. that sort of left it open to me. And I'd just go off on a rant and then it'd be, he had four recording devices all over the living room, just in case we, we one of them dropped, one of them yeah, dropped at any time. And yeah, so he, I call him a good friend now, not just the author of the book, but a good friend as well. Yeah, that's lovely to think of you sitting there trying to work all this thing, all this through. And there was a lot to unpick and you, you know, you've done a fantastic job, Joe, of, of making it into this really coherent story that carries carries people along uh, with it. I, I spoke to, there's a lovely prologue as well too, Out of the Darkness, written by the man you call your footballing dad, Matt, yeah. uh, Brian Zine, who you played football with at Leicester and then very briefly for like four games or something at, at Sunderland. Uh, you went, 
weren't tempted to get Robbie Savage to write it for you, though. <laughs> Robbie, Robbie probably could have done. I mean, me and Robbie are cool. I know there was a there was a few stories in the book, and he's just one of them guys that has that kind of personality that you know you have to be related to him to really love him. <laughs> Is that bad? Is that, um, I don't mean it like that. Um, no, me and him have always been cool. I suppose if I see him now, I mean, if he's read the book, I doubt he will do, but maybe maybe he will give me the cold shoulder. He's too busy at Macclesfield now. Yeah, quite. Saving the day, isn't he? Yeah. So, you know, perhaps if you slipped it in a cover of his own autobiography, you might <laughs> give it a little read. Um, let's hear from, from Brian then. Uh, he, spoke about your, he spoke about your talent to start with. I, I saw Matthew deal with uh, Marcel Desai when he was at Chelsea and Matthew come to the game out of the match and he was brilliant. And um, I, I just saw so much potential in him. Um, you know, he, he would have needed to toughen up in his in his personality because, you know, there's things that you have to deal with. But in terms of ability, um, you know, he, he had everything. He was quick, two-footed. He, you know, he, he seemed to glide past people. Uh, he was he was strong, and um, yeah, he, you know he had all the tools definitely. And I think as you get older and you become more confident, you grow into roles. And, and unfortunately for Matthew, he, he didn't get the opportunity to see himself flourish um, as as a as a footballer and as as a person. Um, his sort of like pathway as he's had to um, really develop that resilience outside of the game and that's probably been twice as hard I looked back at the Guardian match report of that game where you scored your first goal for Leicester and it, they said rated here as more talented and potentially a better prospect than Emil Heskey wow <laughs> I used to be Emil's boot boy and Emil was amazing and I, I used to look up to him a lot um, I think Emil's ceiling of talent and I'm not just putting myself down but I think his ceiling was higher than mine. But I, I did have a good start at Leicester. How do you feel about the fact that you probably didn't hit where your potential could have led you to? Yeah, when I, I mean, when I look back now, I, I'm, you know, I'm gutted about it. Of course I am. But, you know, at the time, especially when the football career came to an end and you, you go through you go through some of the things that are in the book and I told Joe to tone it down just a little bit because, and we did. It's, about, sorry, about how well, good you were or how bad the bad times were? No, or... how, how I didn't want to, I didn't want people knowing that probably to the, the, the extent that it was. I was literally sitting in in toilets before the game like, I don't know, half an hour before the game kicked off, like petrified to come out of that toilet. I didn't want to come out, like didn't want to play and just th couldn't cope with the pressure. So, and, and we did tone it down slightly. It was It's obviously still all, all very truthful in there, but you, you start to reflect back and you think that you don't want people thinking that, wow, this kid should never have been a footballer. I mean, but look, look at some of the stuff I'm reading. He never had the mentality to do it. Um, and I, I, But as the book's come out and, and it's been well received and people have read the stories and sort of understood it, it's a lot easier now for me to express what I've just expressed because you, you understand that 
it is difficult for people and it, it is it is pressure and you know the injuries that i had did have a detrimental effect on my mental health even at that time so i've read the book through you know when it comes through in the hard copy I, i've obviously you know i knew what was going in there but you you read back through the book now and you sort of read it in a third person mm. and and i was reading it thinking I, and i didn't have them feelings of thinking oh this kid you know he wasn't mentally capable of playing football at the highest level i was reading it and thinking that the, the injuries, there's, there's a brilliant line in the book, what Joe put, you know, they they harmed my mind way more than they harmed my body. Mm. I thought that was a, that was brilliant because that encapsulated exactly how it was. Oof. So it sounds as though it's still, even though you're doing this and you're talking about it, which we appreciate so much, and it's such an impressive thing, and I've said this already, but to, to, to be able to be open now. I mean, you say in the book at one point, um, about how when you were at Sunderland, yeah, someone there talked about being depressed after they experienced, in, after he, I guess, mm. experienced injuries. Yeah. <laughs> um, and instead of seeing it as like a gateway to discussing your problems, you, mm. in the book, you say, um, are you not intelligent enough to know that you've got to keep this stuff under wraps, basically? Mm. Yeah, well, I, I, I had very close eyes on that situation. Because I thought if this goes well for him and he gets the support and he gets the comeback from when he first mentions this kind of thing, depression, mental mental health issues, you know, if, if it was dealt with in a way that I thought was going to help the lad, I was keeping very close eyes on it because then I probably would have opened up. And then all of a sudden he goes home, they're talking about ripping his contract up. Oh, oh he's no. never going to be able to play at this level with a mentality like that. And I was like... You know that that's what it was like. So you you know then to keep stum and don't say anything in regard to you know any kind of mental struggles that that are going on. That is so sad to hear because it sounds as though there was an opening there, wasn't there, where you could have maybe tried to get a bit more help at that time, and instead seeing how people reacted around you, you just thought, no, I, I don't. I don't want to go down this route. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I think it made his life more difficult. I mean, obviously, I didn't ask him because he had to go. He literally he, he moved away, and um, but it, I just felt like you cannot say anything regarding your your mental health at that time um, because that look at how he's been treated. Sounds as though Joe, you had to probably push through quite a lot of you know barriers that were built up for a good reason for Matt throughout his career and throughout his experience of just social life and the sense <laughs> yeah, of things. There's a lot to unpack, but I think for Matt it was really useful because, you know, he talks about the confidence there, but actually kind of got to the bottom of it in the respects of how are you ever supposed to build up any confidence when you don't know if your knee's going to go, you know, when you turn. And as a winger, that's what you're doing all the time. So how can you ever build up a run of games, build up confidence yeah. when that's, that's not, not, basically not going to happen? He was doomed from the start, yeah. essentially. So how did you go about kind of trying to build? It sounds as though, you know, you was, you're obviously someone, you're a trustworthy person, you, you know, you got on, there was clearly a um, relationship there that built up over time. But was there, were you really conscious that you had to build this kind of safe space, I guess, for Matt to be able to talk? Yeah, basically what, what, what I said to Matt, I said, look, tell, tell me everything. And then afterwards we can work out the way to say it best and, and whether to use it. And to be honest... I'm not even lying when I say the words in those, that book are Matt. That, 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 that's the truth. 
No, yeah. I just arrange them in the, in the right order in some situations. Yeah, playing down his craft, of course he is. I mean, <laughs> but, this is serious but, stuff, but, right? But, that many yeah. words. The, fir- the first most important thing was Matt, he was open. Um, yeah. You know, the, only, the only thing that was difficult was kind of, you know, tell one story and then there'd be this tangent. There's another story and then another 10 stories. So you had to like... <laughs> I'm bad for that. <laughs> oh, but no, that's exactly what you good. want, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's great. It's what you want. But then you just had to sort of... Uh, Back, bring it back in so yeah it was basically just tell, tell, tell me everything and there was stuff that came out that you know I definitely didn't know before and it wouldn't have come out unless we had these you know long conversations you know every fortnight yeah one thing I loved as well a particular bit I loved was the way you you obviously got so many details because you're so good at telling stories Matt and you're able to to build that up and and you know create a safe space with all the chat um the thing about the Shawshank Redemption that he likes to always what is it the last 10 minutes of the Shawshank Redemption you always <laughs> have like you to watch it I have seen it, it yeah it, it, I still use it today if I ever get I didn't use it today even though I was a little bit nervous coming down <laughs> but if I get nervous or I think some I love putting the last 10 minutes of that film on I don't know why it talks about hope and you know it puts me in a good space to go and to go and do what I'm doing I feel as though I remember it's been quite teary that last 10 minutes, no? Yeah, a little bit. Well, it's where they meet back yeah. together. You know, they've, they've been apart. They were obviously in prison together and then they, they meet on in Mexico. And it's uh, I've probably watched that film over a thousand times, especially that last 10 minutes. <laughs> so that's your ritual, is it, before you do anything difficult or play games? Yeah, I don't do it as much now. I mean, my, my one now is just to tap my phone. You know, the iPhones come out now and you see all my family on the on the front picture. So just knowing that, I, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe I've always been like this. You know, um, some people I know will look at it and think, oh, he's mentally not tough enough to deal with the things that are going on in his life. But I don't know. I've just always been like that. As long as I know that, you know, my family's there, people are close to me, love me. Um, I can push through the difficult, um, some of the difficult situations in life that can sometimes overwhelm you. But Matt, that's normal. That's normal. Everyone has mm. to build up, you know, stores of ways of feeling confident, don't they? And and not everyone has people shouting at them and, and you know, riding, getting positive emotions for the whole weekend off their basis of their performance in 90 minutes or when you were injured in you know far fewer minutes than that yeah that's true and I've, th- I've thought about this a lot and when you're in a football environment especially when I was growing up and my first four or five managers at a professional level it is that shouting and it is that you know you we ain't got time for no mental health mate <laughs> you get on the pitch sort yourself out pull your socks up what get your head up you know what I mean? It's that sort of mentality in the football world. And it does still go on today. But I think what you're starting to see now, especially the more successful managers, mm. this is what I believe. This is just my own personal opinion. I think they're a lot more in tune with um, how to deal with, you know, young men and try and get the best out of them. And it's not always shouting and effing and blinding and you know, them old school kind of sayings like, come on, you got to be tougher than that and all that kind of carry on. I think, I think, you know, I can't imagine Pep or Jurgen Klopp or, you know, in that kind of old school way anymore. Yeah. Do you, I mean, we'll come on and talk a bit more about maybe what could have helped you, I guess, in those 
days when you were playing and what you're trying to do now with your academy, mm. um, perhaps in the next part. But uh, do you see? Do you watching the Premier League now or, or any any of the EFL as well? Do you do you see players where you think I recognise that they might be struggling, or do you feel as though people are being looked after? No, I don't think. I don't think it's got much better. I think it will have got a little better. I don't think it's got much better. I still think there's so much more that can be done. But the reason why you can't really identify it is you can't notice it. And players, young men in general, not just footballers, I think are very good at putting that act on and hiding them emotions. So so it's very hard to um, identify it uh, if you're not, super close to to a person because no one would have known other than my mom my my missus at the time um not even my dad my dad had, was that sort of character where he was a bit like my managers you you didn't want to say what come on you you're fine you know you, you ain't going to be a footballer if you got a mentality like that do you know what i mean so even he wouldn't have known to the extent you know, what What was going on at that point. Do you think you'd have done better in the lockdown uh, scenario at the moment with no no fans in the ground? I don't know. I'm really on the fence about that because I used to, as soon as the whistle went, I, I put it in the book, as soon as the whistle went, all these nerves, the the fact that I was petrified before going out there went. Hmm. They and, and I used to feed from the crowd. I used to, you know, like it if... The, the opposition fans were getting on at you or when you took someone on and you got a crossing or you had a shot at goal and there's that kind of elation from from your home fans. Mm. That sort of spurred me on. So And that's what I found so frustrating because I knew 100% as soon as that first whistle went, I'd be fine. But still, after, you know, the day after a game and the, the next game is coming the week after, throughout the whole week, I'd be dreading the build-up to it. And so you were just dealing with that on your own. You, you and, well, Shawshank Redemption, I guess, a bit as well. But, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, you, you just, that was it. You were just trying to manage these emotions with n- nothing, with no help. Yeah, no, I mean... I mean, It seems like there's, there's probably no some, ba- there's basic stuff to just help, you mm. know? Like, it seems such a shame that you were trying to go through that every week, given that once you got onto the pitch, it was all fine. Yeah, I mean... The, this is what frustrates me the most. The Matt Piper today, now, yeah. who who is a lot more mature and has a lot of um, things at my disposal that I use to help me get through difficult situations, tough situations, fearful situations. I would have been a lot better equipped to be a footballer with my mentality now mm. than, than back then. We're going to take a quick break now and then we're going to go probably to the lowest and then back up to the highest after this. Welcome back to the book club with me, Kate Mason. Alongside me, Matt Piper and Joe Bruin. We're talking today about Matt and Joe's book, Out of the Darkness, which takes us through the story of Matt's career that was ended very prematurely by injury and then the dark times that came immediately afterwards. Matt, we're going to hear from your friend Brian Dean again in a moment. Um, But before that, can you just tell me how you felt once you'd finished working on the book with Joe? Um, In a good place. I really, well, I mean, in general now in my life, I'm in in a good place. 
And when I finished, when we finished the book, uh, there was one thing, and it's about my dad. I don't think he's he's read the book yet. He's never been a reader, um, but I, I felt it was really important to take him one round as, as soon as I got some through from the publishers just before it came out. Mm. And I, I gave it him and I said, listen, and we sort of had that talk and, and Joe knows because I was ringing him for advice at, for about six weeks before I took the book round and I was sort of going, yeah, but if I give it him and I say, you know, look at this page, look at this page, what do you think to this? Oh, God. And, and I, I notably decided we decided actually not to not to check the the parts with my dad in that he might be upset with before because if it changed it it wouldn't have been my story anymore mm. it would have been part of my my old man's story as well um so i put them bits in but i was i was petrified about what he'd think to to some of those bits and how honest i was you know because he's he's quite well respected in Leicester because he's a he's a He's a referee, he works at the matches. Yeah. So uh, when I'm down there working at the Leicester matches on the radio, he's working just beneath me on, you know, hospitality. And it, more people probably know my old man in Leicester than they know me. Mm. That's the truth. He's like, he's known by everyone and everyone loves him. But it's that same old adage that they didn't grow up with him. They, you know, they didn't get beat by him or slapped or, you know, all the problems that were going on in the house when I was younger. So people don't see that, but I needed to put that in because that is part of who I am and who I grew up to become Mm. because of some of the things that I went through with my old man. So I think what he did, he very cleverly got his missus to read it, his new missus, not my mum, and and said that if there's anything in there terrible, let me know. If there's not, I'll be happy about it. So it's still all smiles. So we're we're in a good spot. So she's on. She's a fan of yours, then, is she? Yeah. Well, and I think she's. She sort of gave me the little wink when I was around there last time. I see him quite often, probably once or twice a week. That's really nice. Yeah. She she gave me the. I, I mean, I'm close to him now. Yeah. Um, but she gave me that little wink to say maybe I didn't tell him some of the stuff <laughs> that was in there. <laughs> so I don't think he'll read it. And um, but she's all right with it, so he's not I'm a fan right of podcasts, is he? He's not a football ramblers. <laughs> I don't think he is. No. <laughs> I'm hoping not, because now he'll go and read the book if he listens. To yeah, this, my, it? my dad can't really use podcasts either. To be honest, he's always like, "And tell me how I get onto it again." I don't know. I guess it's a generational thing. It's on your phone, Dad. Like, just click. Oh, never mind. Um, yeah. Okay. It, it sounds as though you think there's quite a few things he could have done differently to help you, and and. That's almost like another missed opportunity. Yeah, I think I think that you know what what I've got for him actually after all this is, is empathy because his background is quite awful as well. You know the you know his mum left him and he didn't. She's seen him like twice before he was seven and then sent for him from from London back to the West Indies. Then he comes over. Then he's got a new dad, a new stepdad. And then if he, by 10 years old, if he's not got, if he's not got the full dinner on the table at 10, he's getting beat when they get home from work. So, you know, some t- I look at it and I understand the father that he was to me because of the upbringing that he had. So I have got empathy for that. Um, but yeah, he, he clearly could have done more, but I just don't think that's his personality. What I will say now is that he's a, he's a terrific dad now. 
and quite a loving dad actually, which wasn't the case when I was younger. And he's a he's a brilliant granddad. So uh, I have no no arguments with the old man that I've got. Oh, that's really lovely to hear. Okay, um, yeah, I said we'd hear a bit more from from Dino. He, of course, had an illustrious career as a footballer himself, a few England caps, and he said he feels as though uh, leaving the game is always very, almost always very painful for everyone. Although perhaps you in particular, here he is. People don't realise that in, you know in football you have the same kind of um, PTSD symptoms as you do when you leave the army, the navy. You know, all of a sudden you, it's like you've had this leg that's been kicked away, and you're out. You're a civilian. You don't have the um, you don't have the foundation of of all those years of kind of going to uh, leaving school, going to university, getting a job, working your way up. You kind of just dumped. Um, and it's very, uh, there's no wonder that, you know, a lot of sports people, I'm not just talking about in football now, we, we struggle. Um, and, you know, we, we, you know, in terms of how to handle it, it must be worse when you're a young player who's still in your prime or not even reached your prime. Um, and, and yet still, you've, you've, you know, you, you haven't been sort of like, you don't have the kind of tools to cope. And, and alcohol um, is, a, is a way of making things go away, I suppose. But then when you wake up from a situation, you, you, you kind of, you still got to deal with them problems and it just, it's a, it's a never compounding situation, I think. He articulates it very well there, Dino. And, you know, he, he helped me a lot, actually, because he, he's opened up quite recently off the back of the book and, and sort of said, you know, I think he said it in the in the prologue of the book that, you know, having seen what I'd gone through it, it, uh, and spoke about and was so open about things, it kind of helped him a lot because he struggled and he had a long, illustrious career, did everything that he wanted to do, played for his country, scored loads of goals, um, made lots of friends um, and he still struggled. And, and he had done everything that, that was sort of on the pathway for me to go and do in my career. So, you know, the fact that you can do everything you want in the game and still struggle shows you how difficult it is to transition out when you've got such a main purpose in life. You know, me from six years old, all I want to do is professional football. I see myself on match of the day. You sort of get there, it's taken away at 24 and along with the football career going away, it's also your identity. Yeah, I can really see that. Mm. Who you are when you walk into a room. Yeah, and that's why I I started to enjoy, and I'm ashamed of saying this, but I started to enjoy the identity of the footballer that's drunk all the time, who takes drugs, who does stupid things, and he's sort of the comedian and the clown. And, you know... Yeah, living that for two years, that became my identity. Right, OK. So you're you're 24, right? You've allowed Sunderland to pay you off with less than half of what you were owed, which, by the yeah. way, I don't know what advice you were getting, but I'm a, I'm a bit stressed. <laughs> I'm a bit stressed about that, to be honest. But anyway, that's a separate point. You you sounded as though you're kind of excited to be leaving football at that point mm. and the dread of, like, this, this fear of sitting in the toilet, worrying about game day, like, mm. petrified, as you say now. You pull your resources or most of your, many of your resources to have this kind of 
uh, slush fund, if you like, to just yeah. look after yourself and have an okay similar life, which is probably partly your mistake, right? You know, mm. it was you without to... a doubt. Yeah. So what happened next? So I was absolutely buzzing when the surgeon said I flew to Denver, Colorado, and when he said you can't play professional sport with that knee anymore. And he was like, I'm so sorry. Do you want me to go and get a counsellor in the room? And he was sort of, he was really trying to help me, or the nurses were. And I was like, oh, yeah, like I was making people feel sorry for me. But inside, I was so excited. I was, I was like, thank God that is all over. I think I shocked Joe when I when I said that, and he, he put it in the book. And, you know, people think, why? And it was because I, I didn't want that pressure anymore. I didn't. I just wanted to bring all my money together. And that's why when Sunderland, I think I got 300,000 from 1.1 million that was owed. And I pulled that together along with some of the other bits and bobs that I had. And I thought, right, I'm just going to go and find what's next and have fun while I'm doing it. And literally three days later, I booked a snowboarding holiday with my brothers and my friends. And I thought, let me ride off into the sunset. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> everything's going to be brilliant now for the rest of my life. I can go and do what I want to do. Snowboarding is hard, mate. <laughs> and presumably you'd never done it before, had no. you? Because you're not allowed when you, you play football, yeah. You, you're not allowed. And <laughs> so I went and did all them things that you're not allowed to do when you're footballer. I, I um, sort of learned how to ride a motorbike in a field, went snowboarding, all these crazy kind of things. And that lasts, and the money lasted for about two years. So I was coming down to London a lot, going to Dubai, flying first class, buying the tables, taking your mates with you, and then the money's gone. And I didn't get depressed because the money was gone. I got depressed because I still wasn't finding that what is next. That's when it all started to to go downhill. But did you really expect to by going out and getting pissed and like <laughs> standing your mates rounds? I mean, I don't, I'm, I, you know, I'm no expert on life, absolutely mm. not. But I, I feel as though that wasn't in my like, you know, careers courses at school. No, but at the same time, I was half-hearted doing thirty, forty, fifty different jobs okay. and, and giving them a day or two, and then binning that one off. No, I ain't doing that. Ground worker, um, computer salesman, telephone salesman door-to-door sales I sort of had a go at everything but only lasted a day or two and then just thought might as well go home and get steaming Mm. that was my sort of mentality at that time is it a status thing do you think because like you're saying about the being a footballer people Mm. that's a high status job isn't it people everyone Mm. pretty much in the world wants to be a footballer and do what you did and then to go from that to you know starting any new career you're not going to be the even if it is the top computer set, you're not going to be that straight away, are you? You've got to no, work your way yeah. up. You basically go from Matt Piper, the premiership footballer, to Matt Piper, the unqualified guy who spent his entire life in football. And now, really, there isn't, there isn't an obvious place to turn next. And not, you retire at 24. Mm. Like, what, what are you supposed to do at that point? I mean, obviously, yeah, you, you, there's an element of kind of feeling sorry for yourself there and things took a darker turn for Matt. But I think anybody in that situation is going to struggle with it. Because I, I don't know what I'd do if I just got told tomorrow that I couldn't do my job anymore and you got to go and do something else. It, it is difficult. Now I look back, I mean, I'm not making any excuses. I did so many things wrong. I mean, you read the book and you can just see, like when I read it in third person, kind of, and I'm trying to read it pretending it's not me, that I'm thinking, look at this idiot. <laughs> what is he? And I was, I was thinking, what, mate, what are you doing? 
Like, do you know what I mean? So it, it it is so difficult, and it's not just football, and it's not just footballers. I think it's difficult for a lot of people um, when you've been so invested in one thing, and you have. And my advice now to players would be try and open up your hobbies and your passions and try and find what else um, gives you those triggers of enjoyment and fulfillment. Um, because if you can find them early, you can start, you know, before you've finished the football career, putting things in place for after it, it'll be a lot easier to transition, I think. Yeah. I mean, you seem pretty self-aware from talking to you just now. And I guess Joe has had the responsibility of of conveying you as you are, as closely to as you are, as as you can. How much of a... And you come across like pretty... I mean, you are a bit of a dick at some phases <laughs> in, in the book. No. Um, but, you know, he does come across... You, you come across really well. I mean, how, how aware, Joe, were you of that responsibility to this guy who you'd grown to be friends with? Yeah, but the thing is, when you know how the book ends and you and people, people now know Matt for being the guy he is, and you know he's he does Radio Leicester as a co-commentator. He's 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 one of the most open people on Twitter. You get you know replies to people. He's he's a great bloke. But yeah, he was a dickhead at that time <laughs> in his life. There's no doubt about it. And he, and he turn and it he in you two. <laughs> Do you want to go join the Rumble? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I think you would fit in. No worries. Both of you it's just that it goes back to being honest about it, isn't it? Why why pretend that you were something else at that time in your life? When, mm. That wasn't the case because, but because also there is a lot of admiration to be gained on how he came out of that and didn't give up on anything, and now he's doing this, you know, this great thing and and found his calling basically. Yeah, but you have to convey the voice, right? Do you feel as so you've yeah. read it back? Do you feel as though he's got your voice? Do you feel like you see yourself in it? Yeah, no, without doubt, spot on. He even used some of the language that 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 must that be I weird. Use. Yeah, it was like. <laughs> Wow, I've got to say that's one of the most one of the most important things for me because you read a lot of footballers' books, and it's like and it's what like, a person thinks yeah, a footballer it, might sound it's like. It's like a yeah. robot. It's like you've put oh. it through Google Translate and you're listening to it that way. So that that was really important to get that tone of voice because you know they're his words and it should sound like they're from him. Is that partly why? Is I mean, what I loved as well as I've already mentioned the savage stuff. You know, <laughs> all of those kind of anecdotes about people getting the piss taken out of them and the little. Um, games that maybe you guys played on each other how Get, much did you getting thrown in the thorn bush by <laughs> trevor benjamin <laughs> trevor benjamin by the way he must be the hardest footballer that, that pipes ever played with without doubt mate he, i think he's gonna write his own book and he should do yeah. most of it's about fighting and scrapping <laughs> <laughs> beating people up um but he was a good footballer as well trev um it'll be an interesting book if he ever brought one out did you tell any of these little anecdotes and then say sorry i've got to veto that one no, no, honestly, no. Because I love that stuff. Those, Everyone loves that stuff. The dressing room yeah. ones, no, honestly, Wicked. honestly. I think I pretty. I, we told it exactly how it was. Yeah. I think um, I checked with a few people first. I, I, I'm still in touch with Trev Benjamin. I rang him and I was like, "I'm going to say this, mate. Is that okay? Is that how you saw the story? The same sort of angle that I'm coming from, especially the Stan Collin one, one with the fight." Um, and Trev was like, oh, you beat me too. I was putting that in my book. <laughs> so, um, but no, it was, I, I did check with a few people. The only one I didn't is my dad, as we've already spoke about. Um, but I just tried and, and Joe did. And Joe was saying the importance of this book, especially, you know, when we was halfway through it, he was saying, you know, you're not a big name. We we both know that. And if we are going to do this book, <laughs> oh, Joe is gotta, laughing a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, you, it is true though, isn't it? You've got to bring 
the truth. And even though it was difficult times and I felt vulnerable about some of them stories coming out, um, especially the real dark times, you've got you, you to tell them. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and of course, the most vulnerable bit, I guess, is apart from, you know, making mum come and sit in your house and cry. Mm, terrible. Um, is when you talk about, you know, you took all of those, all of those pills. Do you think that was a point you had to get to kind of nearly wanting to, to end it mm. in order to come out the other side? Or, is, or do you think it could have been stopped earlier? No. I don't think it could have been stopped earlier. I mean, I tr- I really, when me and Joe were sitting there and, and, and it got to this point and we, we, we were building up to it for weeks, we both knew it was coming because it was an important one to, to tell it how it is, especially because, you know, with the with how things are, especially in young men and, and taking their own life, is it was important to try and, and give the reader exactly what was going on in my mind at that point. Yeah. And that was really difficult because obviously I was, at that point, I think I was two two bottles of whiskey, litre bottles of whiskey, deep. And it was, the only way I can articulate it is that day, I, I that sort of day built up from probably a week previous where I thought, right, this is enough. I thought I was at rock bottom. This is enough. Got to start trying to get fit. Got to try and stop drinking. Got to stop taking all these pills. And that was like a relapse day. So it was like, ah, drinking all this drink and then just taking out the Valium like I took, you know, 80 milligrams a day or whatever it was and, and, and putting them on the side and thinking, what else have I got? And then looking in the cupboard and taking more out and more. And then it was cocodamol, sleeping tablets, Valium, paracetamol. It was sort of everything. And I just tipped them all out on the side and it was all there. And the only thing I can remember is I wasn't seeing my kids at that point. Um, my missus had obviously left. My mum was the only one really around that was coming in to check on me daily. My brother was was with me. My brother was, you know, he wasn't there in person, but he was sort of with me still at that time. I still felt the love from my brother. I hadn't spoke to my dad for ages because he didn't know how to deal with it. Um, friends had sort of, you know, had enough of the way that I was behaving. Um, and I just thought, fuck it. That's all I can remember thinking, just fuck it. And whether that means... I had a conscious thought to end my life that day. I I, I honestly can't say, um, but I just took all them them tablets, and, and certain things that I did after I took them tablets. Even though I was drunk, leaving your phone at home, leaving your keys, you know, leaving the house with no personal, you know, um, things on you, yeah. and walking up to my granddad's grave. He's buried just round the back of my house. Where my house backs onto a graveyard. And laying on that grave clearly shows you that it, it probably was me trying to, you know, finish it that day. Um, and, it, and and the first time we spoke about it, when we sat down to do it in the book, it was really difficult. And, you know, I've had tears talking to Joe throughout this process and some of the stories that I was telling, we've laughed, we've joked, but I, I that was difficult talking about that. And what I do, I think, to be able to talk about it even now is 
as I say when I read the book in a third person, I kind of talk about it in a third person way because when you talk about those things, it can be really upsetting because I look back now at the life that I've got, the the kids that I have, the wife that I have, you know, it would have been, it would have been the ultimate mistake to, to, to have taken my life that day. So it's important to let people know that even in the, the deepest depths of despair, you, there, there is a way out. You say in the book that you don't, or that you don't really consider yourself to be an alcoholic. Is that, mm. is that right? Yeah, I know. And, and some people think that's crazy. And a, a lot of people in Sporting Chance, where I went to three or so weeks after that incident I've just spoke about, said that, that you know, once you've had a problem with alcohol and controlling the consumption of alcohol, why, why use it again? You know, which, which makes total sense. Um, but I always felt, even when I was in Sporting Chance from the start, and I stopped drinking for nearly two years after Sporting Chance, um, and I don't drink certain drinks now. I don't drink whiskies um, or, or hard liquors. Um, but I felt that I was using it, as Brian Dean said in, in his last piece that he spoke to you about, that it, it helps you put these thoughts to the back of your mind and that's what I felt like I was using it for um, along with the Valium along with the sleeping tablets to sort of take a step back from having those thoughts and responsibilities on a day-to-day basis that you clearly couldn't cope with at that time Problem so is they're still there obviously and they're just not being dealt with when you're doing that yeah exactly and that's what I learned about I, I feel, and I, I had so much growth. I was only in Sporting Chance for six weeks, but I felt like I had so much growth in, in that rehab centre um, and and began to find myself um, that wasn't the identity of a footballer. Oh, so this is my personality. Mm. This is, and a, a lot of that centred around self-development and um, always wanting to um, push forward and achieve more and help others. That was a, that was a big one, and that's where the openness came out. Because that's why I'm so open now, and I can talk about this stuff. Because you're in there and you're forced to talk about this stuff <laughs> to counselors, at AA meetings. You are forced. You you just can't sit in there and stay quiet. It's not going to help you. So you sort of do it, and then when you see. A little smile from someone in an AE meeting when you've shared a story or 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 you feel like you, you've shared in an environment where it's helped another makes you feel better. Mm. And that's why I believe so much in in sharing. Do you have any setbacks these days? Um I think it's a constant battle. I really do. Every day I wake up, some days I wake up and I'm not in a great place where I feel oof feel that cloud of depression starting. I can see it on the horizon. This is sort of how I explain it to, to people and it's sort of drifting in. But now, instead of getting a drink and, and trying to dispel that cloud, mm. I have fitness, I have sharing, what I've just spoke about. So I'll, I get the missus up early. Babe, feeling a bit <laughs> under the weather today. Let's have a chat. 
And she's like, oh, God, not again. But we, we have that chat and I feel better. And, you know, and, and sometimes it's vice versa. She'll talk to me about things that, uh, that are on her. And the kids will and my friends will. And it just lifts you that little bit. And then that fitness keeps me in, in a good place and eating well and looking after myself well. And yes, I do drink again. Um, but as you, as a social drinker, I go down the pub on a Friday for an hour, have a couple of beers. I'm, it's more like how you should use alcohol yeah. is how I use alcohol now to um, socialise and have a good time with my friends and my family. And that's why I think I'm okay and, and in a good spot. And you've got your um, the FSD Academy in Leicester as well. How's that going for you? Yeah, well, it's one of the it's it's one of the thoughts that I had in um, in the rehab clinic all the way back then, two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. I thought we had a brilliant guy in there. He was one of the guys that helped me so much, and he didn't even know it. He was a, he was a a football coach called John Goodman. He went on to um, coach at the Nike Academy, uh, which is no longer with us, but he. He just made football fun again, and he made me fall back in love with football. Oh, is this foot golf stuff? The foot golf. Yeah, that's big just, now, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and just foot. He was the first guy that ever sort of introduced me to it, and more like having a laugh again, but to do with football, the game that I loved and grew up loving, and I fell in love with it again. But more importantly, I fell in love with John. I was like. I want to be like John. Oh. No, I do. I want to be like John. I want to introduce this sport to to others, kids, where I started, because I started in the schools first, and I want to make them fall in love with this game like John has made me again. And so the idea initially was born in Sporting Chance to to own and have my own academy. We're helping kids 16 to 19 find their pathway and their purpose. So it's not just about football. We run a life skills program with it as well. So hopefully passing on some of the the knowledge that I now have on how to live as a responsible adult. <laughs> and you must feel proud, guys, as well of this book, Joe. Really proud because, you know, this just starts as a, a, a seedling of an idea with Matt saying, I don't think people will care. <laughs> <laughs> and actually it turns out that a lot of people do care. And, mm. you know, it was, it was really, really nice to be to be recognised for the for the William Hill Prize. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know as a, as a writer, it's a really proud thing, but also just just shows that you know people do care about this kind of thing, and and it's important to share when you can, especially when there's a nice happy ending to it. Yeah, that probably does help, does it, to realise that? It does. I mean, it, 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 total shock this this William Hill Award that we we're long listed for last fifteen. Um, but let me take this opportunity to firstly thank you, Kate. Oh, thanks. It's been a brilliant interview, oh, and hey, secondly, <laughs> the I said. Before this guy is has become a very close friend of mine, and I'm, I've just thanked my lucky stars every day. I do, and I could get upset when I talk about this now because, and he's Joe's not like this. <laughs> he's not as he's looking awkward right yeah, now. And I should it, tell the listeners. <laughs> it's all right, this is going to get edited out. <laughs> no, he's just I, I just thank him so much for the book that he put together because I was really fearful over it coming out and the way he encapsulated my story and and told it to the people that that have gone out and bought it so top man buddy thanks mate (laughs) you got some tissues in it don't take the piss out of emotions Joe we're supposed to be encouraging them Um, and actually yeah one very important 
thing to say before we go is thank you both for coming together to write this book. It tells a story that is filled with so many missed opportunities and moments of danger, but ultimately expresses the uplifting idea that you can recover from almost anything if you have the right help. And thank you, Matt, for sharing such personal things with Joe. Firstly, for Out of the Darkness, and then with us at The Ramble today. Something else to say before we go. If you've been affected by any of the things we've discussed today, please know that help is available. Helplines are available through the NHS. If you need to get urgent advice about your mental health, they're open 24 hours a day. Just Google NHS Mental Health Helpline and choose your local number. Or if you just want to talk to someone, the number for Samaritans is 116123 and you can find your local meeting for Alcoholics Anonymous on their website, alcoholics-anonymous.org.uk. Out of the Darkness by Matt Piper with Joe Bruin is out now from Pitch Publishing. It made the 15-book longlist for the William Hill Sports Book of the Year. The winner is announced at the start of December. Pick up a copy at all good bookshops now. And please make sure you subscribe to Football Ramble Presents wherever you get your podcasts. On the Continent lives here and the next edition of Book Club will head straight to your phone when it's out in two weeks' time. We'll see you then. Football Ramble Presents is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.